All right, so as we're kind of passing the offering baskets down, I want to do a quick correction. Um, March 18th is when they're at 1245 is when the kids are doing their performance after service. All the other services from now until Easter, um, the kids that are in the performance will actually just be practicing during service. So make sure if your kids say, hey, I'm in the performance, that they come each Sunday until then so they can make sure they get the most prep. All right, we got it. There's not practice at 1245 after every service until then, just one. So we won't steal your kids forever. But I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about um, just a story of my, my life when I was a child. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, I played basketball on the varsity basketball team. And the season had, bren- had been pretty difficult. Um, but I knew that going into my last basketball game of the year, that it was going to be the best game of the season. And let me tell you why it was going to be the best game of the season. My older brother was coming to watch me play. And my older brother is not just like any older brother. He was like the coolest kid in town, or so I thought. My older brother was cool for two reasons. Number one, he was adopted. And adopted kids, by nature, are just cool. They've been chosen, where my parents were just stuck with me. And number two, he was six foot nine. I mean, he's still six foot nine. And every day I would wake up hoping that I could just blink my eyes or snap my fingers and switch heights with him because that is a basketball scholarship waiting to happen, right? So basketball comes around. We're going through the last season, our our last game. The, The season was really difficult. I get to my last game, it's an away game. We go into the guest locker room, I'm talking to the team and um, we're getting ready, we're prepping, we're you know getting pumped up and I look at them and I'm like, guess what, my older brother's gonna be here. And they are like super stoked for me too, but also for them because he's six foot nine and like any of us girls would have traded our height with him, right? So they were all excited too. We went out, um, pre-game started, you've got the Space Jam soundtrack lighting up. Anybody ever listen to that? Space Jam. Okay, all the cool basketball songs with Michael Jordan with the c- cartoons. I mean, that's what we that's what we jammed out to on the way to starting a game. So we're doing layups, doing reverse layups, popping three pointers, getting our defensive stance, everything to a T. We are intimidating the other team like we are ready for a new game today. It was our last game of the season, and a six foot nine dude was going to be there watching us. Like. We were all pretty stoked, or at least I thought everybody was as stoked as I was. So the game's about to start. The clock is counting down. My mom walks in. She stands in the bleachers, and she points. She does the little finger, and I come close to her. She gives me the phone, and my brother's car broke down. And in that moment, I think everything about the game just faded away. Every type of negative reinforcement that could come into my mind did. You're not worth it. You're not even worth it enough for him to see if you're worth it. He will never love you. He'll never care about you. He doesn't care. He's never been to a game yet. Yeah, right, his car broke down. And I began to flood my face with tears. Like, I'm telling you, it was, I didn't even know who was around me. I wasn't embarrassed. It was like, in that moment, all I could hear were the loud voices in my head telling me that it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a real breakdown of the car, it was me. 
And I remember in that moment, I knew that I couldn't pull it together for the game. It was time to get ready. My team was ready. And all of a sudden, this girl walks over to me from my team. Her name is Sandy. She had long, blonde, wavy hair. And she looked at me. She knew exactly what was going on. She walked right up to my face. She grabbed her thumbs, wiped my tears. And she said, you and me, we're going to score 22 points this game. And I walked out there, and I don't remember a lot about that game other than passing, playing, and all this adrenaline. The clock clicks down to zero. I don't even know who won, but I will tell you this. I scored 22 points that game. <laughs> Words have power, right? They speak things into existence. They have the power to change the course of our mind and our future and our behavior in an instant. Our tongues have power. We've been studying the book of James. William talked about stretching us last week, right? And today we're going to go into James 3, and I'm going to go really deep into three verses. Three verses that give us three things that James compares our tongue to. Let's read. Actually, I'm going to read from up here because mine is New American Standard Version, and this is NIV. So James 3, 3 through 5, when we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Let's go to the next slide. We're going to do all three, red after one after another. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Next one. There we go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So there's three things that James compares the tongue to. And what I want to do today is take um, kind of a classical um, Christian approach to reading the scripture, which is called Lexio Divina, which essentially means you read scripture, you meditate on scripture, you look at kind of what pops out and comes out to you, and then you pull kind of some self-reflective, self-evaluation questions from that. So today we're going to look at the three things he compares it to and the three questions that I have pulled from that that allow me and probably you guys to sit back at the end of the evening and ask ourselves about our life and evaluate and get really honest, really raw, and really authentic before ourselves and before the Lord. Sound good? All right. So the first one, he compares our tongue to that of a bit in a horse's mouth. And I don't know about you, but I tend to kind of read through things and I assume that I understand what it means. I'm like, okay, essentially that means that we need to kind of have a disciplined tongue, keep our tongue under control, because I assume that's what a bit in a horse's mouth does. But actually, the bit in a horse's mouth is actually a piece that's connected, right, to the harness, which is then connected to the reins, which a rider uses to communicate to the horse. So I did a lot of research because I was like, I've ridden a horse once in my life. So how am I supposed to understand the scripture if I don't even really know what a bit really is? It's something in the horse's mouth. But in actuality, the bit is not meant to be a disciplinary tool for a horse. It's meant to be that which receives the communication of the rider. Interesting, right? The rider has something that it wants the horse to do. And in order to get that, they move the reins in a way that adjusts the harness and the bit in the horse's mouth. And the horse has a choice in that moment. Do I listen or do I do what I want to do? Okay? And this is what we have every single day. 
You see, we have number one, our Holy Spirit, our God the Father. He's our writer, right? He's got the reins, hopefully. And he wants something. He's saying, you know what? Let's move in this direction. Let's move our body, our life in this direction. He begins to adjust the reins, which adjusts the harness, which adjusts the bit. And the bit being our tongue, we speak something out. And we have the opportunity to listen or to do what we want, right? The reality is a rider is probably like, I don't even know how big a horse is, tons of weight, a rider really can't control a horse. If you've seen a horse that wants to do its own thing, there's not much a rider can do to stop that, right? The rider simply communicates to the horse what they want it to do, and the horse has an option. And every day, every morning, every evening, every day of the week, we have opportunities to, number one, ask ourselves, who has the reins, right? And number two, when we're... when kind of deeper than that, who has the reins, but are we allowing him to use our tongue as a tool to speak things into being and then walk into that existence and be obedient to that, right? Number two, James compares our tongue to that of a rudder on a ship. And again, if you're like me, I make assumptions all the time of what these things mean, but I do not ride ships very often, nor do I know any of the things that Maybe a sailboat has a sail. I mean, I just don't know. So again, I did some research, which is a good reason why the, the Bible talks about having a hunger for the word. Because as we dig farther, we begin to look into scripture and we realize, wow, there's a lot more color in these things than we realize. It's not so simple that some things are actually um, a lot more beautiful when we dig deeper into them. So I began to research what is a rudder, what does it do? And I assumed that a rudder turns a ship. And what I realized from that research is a rudder, go figure, is too small to turn a huge ship. What a rudder does is it turns and it shifts and adjusts everything around the ship, which is the water and the water it sits in. And then what happens is the water makes what's called a new drift line. And the boat, the ship, begins to sail on a new drift line. And all of that, when the rudder turns, and when it makes a new drift line, and when the ship begins to shift onto that new drift line, is called a rudder moment. You see, our tongue technically doesn't have the ability to do something with my body or other things. It's small. But what it does have the ability to do is to change everything about my situation, everything about my relationships, and everything about the people around me. Now, you might be thinking, okay, you said Shiloh, relationships and people. Isn't that the same thing? It can be. But let me give you an example of this. I, I have had moments where I have realized I've spoke too harshly to my daughter for too long, and I've realized that her personality begins to change and adjust as I am speaking too harshly. I have used my tongue to destroy something in a little girl, right? How many of us have had those moments? Those, right, look in the mirror and go, God, you're going to have to reteach me how to be a parent today. But then there's also those times where you're sitting in a room and someone's gossiping about someone you know, and you're like, I'm not going to participate in it, but I don't really want to embarrass them and tell them to be quiet, and I don't really know how to adjust the conversation, so I'm just going to listen, and maybe in my best efforts, I'm going to try to get them to believe the best about someone. And in reality, you walk out of that room, and even though you didn't say anything, and even though you might 
come out a little slime-free, you really feel like something stuck to you, right? It's a little bit sticky. And then when you see the person that was gossiped about, you realize, uh, maybe they're not as great as I once thought they were. Because our words have the ability to shape how we connect with people and how we interact with people. So the second question, the second self-reflection question that I would urge us all to do is to say, God, what is my tongue? How is it shaping the waters in which I sit? The people, the relationships, and the situations. And number three, James compares the, the tongue to that of a spark. In a moment's notice, a tongue can wipe out a beautiful forest of trees, right? And it got me thinking. This is an example of the power of something small. But if a spark can do that, what can it also do, right? A spark can light up some fireworks and throw them into the sky to make a grand finale. A spark can light a engine of a rocket ship and send men to the moon. A spark can light a bonfire that allows a space for people to intimately connect and have new kingdom kind of raw living. A spark can light the engine of an airplane and send us on a flight to Wakanda. Wakanda, <laughs> Wakanda forever. The spark, our tongue has so much power. And if it can destroy an entire field, an entire forest of trees, can it not do something great too? So the third question is, what are we allowing the spark of our tongue? Where are we allowing it to lead us, to launch us, to take our lives? And we take those three things. We take, we take the bit, the rudder, and the spark. And we ask ourselves deep, authentic, raw questions that lead us to a place that humbles ourselves before the Lord and says, God, communicate to me. Use my tool to make the world a better place, to take me to places that I never, dreams could I never dreamed I could ever be, a place that I could speak things out. Have you ever had a moment where, you know, probably when you're young, I used to have this, and don't make me feel really alone in this. Um, when you're a kid and you have a crush on someone and you don't tell your best friend because you're like, you're like, no, the moment I tell them it's going to become real. Like, I'm not going to be able to walk around that kid anymore and, and like, be straight-faced. Like, everybody's going to know. My friend's going to nudge me, and then they're going to say something and make a move or whatever they're going to say. In the same way, like, God speaks things to us all the time, on the regular. Sometimes we're too busy, too noisy to hear, but God speaks to us, and we sometimes hold it within because we don't want to say anything out loud because if we do, all of a sudden, it's going to become real. And then... We might be held accountable, and then people might look at us and be like, Shiloh, you said this. In fact, this is like a couple of weeks ago, the Lord told me something about one of, I do consulting for nonprofits, and one of my clients, the Lord told me, you need to step back from this. You need to have more time for your family, more time for the things I've called you to, and you need to end this contract. 
And so I told my husband, and he's like, okay. And then I, I felt like his silence was, was meaning he was nervous. So I said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I won't do anything until, you know, the Lord provides that, that balance of finances for us, and we'll be okay, you know. I won't do anything. And I kind of let it die because I was like, I don't want my family to suffer, and I don't want my husband to be nervous, and I know he works hard, and we work hard, and, you know, I'll just wait. And if this is really of the Lord, like, he'll provide something. I'm not going to just jump out and be a crazy person. And two days roll by, and my client sends me this long email about how his budget has changed, and he's going to have to end the contract. <laughs> and immediately I got panicked, and I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? We're not gonna. And he reminded me, he said, Shiloh, I told you. And you spoke it out into existence, and then you got too embarrassed, and you tried to pull it back, and too fearful. And the reality is I tried to communicate to you like a rider does on his horse. He uses the bit to speak something out, and you disobeyed me. But I'm going to force you into it because this is a better place for you. I want to take a moment, and I want to introduce you to my friend Will Rosenberg. He did the incredible paintings here, and we've been super blessed to have him. He is, I have known Will for 17 years. We are old people. And um, Will and I got our undergraduate, our bachelor's degree together in pastoral leadership. We were missionaries together on the missions field. He stayed and he trained up young missionaries to send out all over the globe. And he has done missions in over 50 countries. Talk about stepping out, right? He's going to come up here and share just a bit. Um, and he's going to share how the tongue, the words, had power in his life and how they shaped his story. And he's also going to do some more painting for us and walk us through a time of healing and an interactive time of, um, of, of just kind of a ministry time, right? Yeah. Is that good? Why don't we welcome Will? Give him a round of applause. Isn't Shiloh awesome? Isn't Will awesome? You guys have such a cool family here, and I'm just so blessed to get to share with you today. And uh, my heart is just to tag team with what you guys are already doing and uh, just kind of continue and just a bit of an application to what Shiloh's been sharing today. Um, good? You guys still all good? I'm going to pray. Is that cool? So everybody kind of open up your arms a little bit. Like you want to receive something from Papa? We thank you, Daddy. We thank you for life. We thank you for your presence in this house. We say, have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Have your way. We love you, Father. Continue to move, Lord. We open our hearts up to you more. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. So I just feel that he's going to, the Lord just wants to touch some of us today. Is that good? Yeah. Isn't that good? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, let's see here. I'm going to, I'm going to make a little bit more room. Um, so my wife and I prayed a little bit, and this was kind of the word that, that she got. She got the word resurrection. Little did she know that that was already weaving its way into my message. Is that good right there? Okay. Um, 
Okay, good. Awesome. Just getting a little organized here. Okay. Uh, first off, uh, who's, who's the engaged couple? They still here? Okay, that's okay. That's all right. But I just want to brag about my wife because if anybody's lucky, I'm pretty lucky. So this is my wife and my daughter. And just on that theme of words, my, my daughter's name is Newell. It's spelled N-U-E-L-L-E, and it means peaceful soul. And somebody prayed over my wife's belly when, when Newell was in there, and they got that word that she's going to be a peacemaker to the nations. And we just, we did, that just sat well with us. You know, we're like, yeah, like that's the Holy Spirit, that's the Lord. So when she was born, we had a list of like 10 different names that meant peace or peacemaker. And it was when she was about two, year, two days old that we chose Noelle. And her middle name is Erin, spelled E-R-R-Y-N, and it means strength. So peaceful strength. So we believe in the power of words. We believe in the power of a name. We believe in speaking life. We're going to do a little interactive bit here, if you can uh, hang with me. Um, what are some words that have been spoken over you or over your culture? Like some negative words or things that have been spoken out in your life from a family member, a teacher. What's something negative? Stupid. Stupid. Okay. Angry. Not good enough. What was that one? I'm sorry. Can't. Like you can't do it? You can't. You can't. Okay, a couple more. Can't do it. You can't do it. Got it. What else? Another one. <laughs> fat? Did I hear fat? Okay. What else? Lazy. Uh, ugly. Dunkoff? <laughs> Is that German? Dunkoff. What's it mean? What's it mean? Okay. Stupid. Dumb. Dunkoff. There's my German right there. What else? A couple more. Impossible. Okay. Uh, worthless. Negative. Worthless, unwanted, lost, disgraceful, ouch, what was that one, pathetic, 
All right. Huh? Disorganized. I get that one a little. Maybe. I'm organized, though. Disorganized. Slow. You messy. I like messes. Mess. Messy. Retarded. Hey, it's real, man. It is real. Whoops. Don't mind the spelling. You get on my nerves. Annoying? Ungrateful. Bondage? Grumpy. You drive me crazy. That could have been a mom saying, you drive me crazy, right? What else? Not smart enough. Stupid. Uh, dumb. A waste. A waste of space. What was that? Druggy? Something? Uh, disgraceful, stupid, dumb. How do you say it in German again? Dufkaf. 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 Uh, Dumbhead. It's pretty good, huh? There's all kinds of negative words that we've experienced, yeah? Words have power, you know? Words have power. I think what Shiloh was saying today was just walking through words. And I think even as I was talking with her this week and last week, it's like, man, what, what words? So when I was a kid... Uh, long story short, I grew up in a house where when I was a baby, my mom was an alcoholic. My parents were both ex-hippies, and my mom came off of alcohol, came back to the Lord, started taking me and my sister to church, and my dad grew up in a Jewish household. So just like the author of James, I have this Jewish heritage, this Jewish identity. And my dad was just a holiday Jew, but... For him, it was identity. And it's like, you can, be any, you can be Jewish and believe in anything except for Jesus. So words were kind of strong in my household, kind of in a negative way. But one thing my mom taught us, I think I remember when I was in high school, my mom started to say, words are powerful. And it got to that point where it was like annoying, you know? Where you're like, yeah, mom, I know, I know. Words are powerful. The other one was don't drive fast because you're late. <laughs> but words are powerful. And a little bit later, that just became more real to me. When I, uh, when I was graduating from university, 
Shiloh and I went to a small Christian school uh, in Southern California. And I was just praying. I was like, Lord, what do I, what do I want to do with my life? I, I was studying youth ministry, and I was like, okay, God, what's, what am I going to do? And somebody asked me, an undergrad student asked me, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, without thinking, I'm going to go travel around the world. And once those words left my mouth, I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. It was like I finally had something to step into. Without realizing it, it was a prophetic statement. And I'm like, okay, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. Uh, I got to start paying student loans in six months. I don't have any money. My dad owned a pest control business. Like, we weren't well off, to say the least. But I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go travel around the world. Long story short, uh, a couple months later, I bought a one-way ticket to New Zealand. And Shiloh and I actually did a school with a youth with a mission together. It was, a, it was called Around the World in 80 Days. And when I discovered this school, I discovered it on the internet, and it said three months in New Zealand studying about the Bible, different cultures, world issues, living in community, and three months traveling on an around-the-world plane ticket. And I was like, no way, like, that's it. And I told one of my mentors, a guy that I love to death, I was so excited, I was like, I'm going to do this thing. And you know the first words out of his mouth? That sounds expensive. So what did I do? Did I quit? Did I say, oh, you're right. Yep, you're right. I'm going to go sit in the corner and not do my dream because it's expensive. I could have. Easily, I could have just, boom, defeat right there, done, not going to happen. But words are powerful. I spoke those words out, and it was stuck. Like, that was my destiny. God is so good. He's just so faithful. And it's just steps of faith. You know, so words can build up. They can create. Or they can tear down. It's too expensive. You're stupid. You're not smart enough. You can't do it. You're pathetic. You're retarded. The thing that I struggle with is that those are not your identity. So we look at scripture, and God, at the very beginning, He spoke and created the heavens and the earth. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, right? The God of the universe, the uncreated creator, he could have just gone, there it is, done, right? He could have been like, okay, I need to make some little minions to create the heavens and then some to create this. And he's like, no, it's like God spoke. And he created and then he breathed life into man. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he create, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, 
and black and white and Puerto Rican and Russian, all created in the image of God. All created in the image of the creator. Not ugly, not stupid, not retarded. That is not your image. image of the creator of heaven and earth. But the thing is, that jumped out as Shiloh was speaking, it's almost like, like God's so gentle with us. The way that he guides us. The way that he directs us. If we let him. We have this, this will that we get to submit to him. Or not, you know? I'm, I'm pretty stubborn sometimes. Anybody else? It's okay, we're all family. But we get to choose to let that, the horse chooses to let the, let the rider turn its head. And the horse is trained too. Like as we are discipled, as we come closer to the Lord, we're more familiar with his turning. We're full, more familiar with his voice. We lean into it. Right? I feel like the Lord just wants to work on us today a little bit. I just want to break off those negative words and step into the truth of who we are, the truth of who he made us, to get over that I'm not good enough. Because I'll tell you what, the things that I am called to and passionate about are the same things I'm like, oh, I'm not good enough. My art's not any good. Oh, man. And it's like listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to the identity and stepping into the image of the creator. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ within. And it's as we identify with Christ, with the death and the resurrection, it's like we step back into the garden where we can commune with God before the fall, where it's like we're redeemed through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Words are powerful. So Lord, we thank you for your presence.